This is episode 145 of the Landscape Photography Show, and before we get into today's show, I want to tell you about today's sponsor for the show, and that's Landscape Photography University. If you go to landscapephotographyuniversity.com slash stream, there's actually a free course on there right now, a free streaming mini course that's going to take you through the steps, the three composition hacks guaranteed to make you a better photographer immediately, plus some resources within in that live stream class as well. So again, it's only about 30 minutes. Block out that time. Go to landscapephotographyuniversity.com slash stream and you can start watching that course immediately. Again, that's landscapephotographyuniversity.com slash stream and start watching that course to help make you a better photographer. In today's episode, we're getting into the first part of a two-part episode with Adam Karnach. And Adam and I talked live actually on YouTube and Facebook to discuss what's going on with his photography. And if you don't know Adam, you might know him on YouTube as First Man Photography on that channel. And he's been doing some great things on his channel for educating photographers, but also getting into the artistic side of photography as well. What makes you love it? What makes you enjoy it the most? And I think if you are at that point of, okay, I know my camera, I know about how to make a good photo, and you're ready to take the next step, these two episodes, 145 and 146, which is the next episode, is going to help you out a ton because Adam shares some really good bits of information on the artistic side and the thinking side, the thoughtfulness side of photography. Let's get right to it. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome into the show. We're live today with photographer Adam Karnach, and Adam is somebody that I've been following online for quite some time. If you can follow him at First Man Photography, amassing over 150,000 subscribers on YouTube, although I'm sure Adam could give us the exact number right now, talking all over the world, selling prints, and doing an amazing job at educating people in landscape photography. So it was only natural that I wanted to have him on the show. Adam, first of all, welcome in to the podcast and, and the live show. Why don't we get started just getting a background on you, who you are, how you got started in photography, and what led you to where you are now? Sure. Thanks very much for having me on, David. It's an absolute pleasure. Uh, it's good to be good to be here with you. Uh, to answer your question, though, I I think my love of photography really started out with a love of the outdoors. So it began with landscape photography, really, because where I grew up in the north of England, I was lucky enough to that my house was right on the edge of a wood. So from a very early age, I was up into the woods, riding bikes, making dens with my brother and my friend and it kind of just led a, quite a, an outdoor type life and then when I was 16 I was lucky enough to go with my friend and his mum to the US and we traveled all around sort of California we went to Death Valley and it was on a day that we were planning to go and drive the sort of route around Yosemite that I decided I wanted to get some really nice photographs of Yosemite. So we kind of stopped at this little uh, like rest stop somewhere and I bought this little kind of disposable 
Kodak camera that had this kind of really interesting panoramic film in it. I don't know the exact ratio, but ended up taking that round Yosemite and kept um, asking my friend's mum to stop the car so I could get out and take a picture. And after a while of doing this kind of five to ten times, they were starting to get really sick of me uh, because my friend's aunties were there as well. And they were like, oh, stopping again. It's like we've got Ansel Adams in the back here. <laughs> and I'd never heard of Ansel Adams at that point when I was 16 years old from Northern England. Uh, so then did some research uh, and sort of learned all about him, how important he was for Yosemite, how important he was for landscape photography. And that really kind of was the spark of my landscape photography journey. Then it kind of got a bit... I got a bit further down the line to like sort of 18, 19 when I sort of went to university and then kind of fell away from photography really as I got interested in kind of girls and beer and things that you do at that kind of, <laughs> at that stage of life. Um, yeah, and it just kind of fell away for a bit. And then I ended up joining the police after I dropped out of university and moved to London to be a police officer. And I ended up doing that for 14 years um, until about 2018, when I eventually left to do photography full time because after my second daughter was born in about 2014, I started the YouTube channel and uh, had moved back up north by that point as well so had access to lots of different national parks like the lake district and the peak district and the northeast where i'm from and yeah i i sort of started making these tutorial videos on youtube because i'd done a lot of wedding photography down in london and was getting frustrated and kind of irritated i suppose with how unhelpful current professional photographers were they were unwilling to share knowledge. They felt like it was just one massive competition, so were rude and off-putting. And I didn't want it. I didn't want photography to be like that. So I, I started making these YouTube tutorials about the stuff I learned and to try and encourage new people to get into it uh, because it it was. I mean, it was, there was a lot of interest around then of people buying their first digital camera and that kind of thing, and I wanted to help them along. And then about a year into it, I started doing vlogs, which was on the back of kind of this sort of whole Casey Neistat uh, craze around doing vlogs and things. So I went out and did one just about my, a day doing landscape photography because that was what I did. And then filmed the first video, talked about the day I'd had, uh, which was a little area in the Yorkshire Dales near to where they'd filmed some of Harry Potter actually and posted the video but just totally forgot to post the pictures that i'd taken because i didn't really think that was part of the story at that point in time and then people sort of said to me well why why didn't you share the pictures and i thought yeah like why didn't i that seems really daft in hindsight. <laughs> but back then i don't really think the sort of landscape photography vlog existed i think it was still a developing medium there was people like me and 
Thomas Heaton in this country and then yeah, maybe a couple in America as well. But we didn't have big followings back then. It was kind of uh, a very new thing. So like, I didn't really, I was kind of, it was just this voyage of discovery really as to how these videos would kind of make sense. And eventually, yeah, I kept doing it and people kept watching them. People appreciated the tutorials. And then, yeah, it just kind of took off really. And it was, people kept coming back to watch and people kept subscribing and it was just, <laughs> it was just a very odd thing really. Um, yeah, very odd. And I was still in the, still in the police at the time. Cause I'd think I'd been doing YouTube about three years when I left, but I didn't tell them, I didn't tell my colleagues that I was doing it. Cause you'd get like, you'd get a bit of a ribbon for it really. They'd sort of tease you for it and stuff. Cause it was that kind of brutal camaraderie at times. And then one day I went in and went into the office and someone said, someone sat behind me, said a line that I say in the videos. And then I just thought, oh no, they've, someone's found it. And then they all started like sniggering under their breath. And I turned around and they all started like laughing and pointing at me, and just laughing at me for ages. It was really embarrassing. But then after a while they sort of said, they were like, well, to be fair, there's not much to take the uh, mickey out of because actually quite good i was like, all right fair enough <laughs> and that was yeah and that sort of brought me to becoming a full-time professional really youtube was a big part of it but then there's obviously other other areas of the business on uh, that i follow as well of doing real life tutorials and stuff but yeah it's been a bit of a whirlwind up to now and um yeah i, I got an office as well like or a studio half at the start of covid because i've got two kids and I, I was filming at home when i wasn't out and about and that just became impossible because our house is not very big so <laughs> I'm, i think i'm a rare landscape photographer who has a photography studio so but it's worked out quite well um, as as a parent of a two-year-old i definitely understand that and have it's come in the back of my mind a few yeah. times actually um there's a lot to unpack there Obviously, uh, you've had a great elevation in especially uh, YouTube and, and on the teaching side, but also the, the quality of your photography is, is why you're on the podcast, right? So I was curious, you know, going back to the beginning of your story when you had that camera and you were telling um, the people to stop the car and, and constantly yeah. get out and look at that, what was it? about the difference in the landscape that made you constantly want to stop and look around? It's an interesting one because in the, no in the north of England, which is where I'm from, there is a lot of beautiful and varied landscapes. So you kind of got, in the, where I'm from in the northeast, you've got, you've got like moors and you've got cliff coastal lines. Uh, you've got hills and then you go across to the other side of the country and you've got the Lake District with impressive mountains. But then when you go to Yosemite or other places, you realize actually the, the English mountains particularly are not really very big at all compared to some of the ones in other parts of the world, including the US and Yosemite. So I, was, I think I was just like this kind of wide eyed 16 year old lad who was just in awe of these sites. 
And I mean, I, I didn't have any photography training or pointers at that point. I mean, it was before the internet existed, really. So you were kind of, you had to look in a book if you wanted to find out, like you had to go to in, digging into an encyclopedia or something. Hmm. So I think I mean, it's probably like 96, 97 at this point. So you might've had Encarta or something, but like, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was just, I had no knowledge of what I was doing. So the, the pictures I took, took were just totally instinctive uh, with no idea of how I should compose a photo or even ideas about compositional rules. Cause I was terrible at art in school. Absolutely terrible. Hated it. And I still to this day can't draw with a pen or a pencil or paintbrush. And I think that's possibly why photography kind of worked for me because you have this ability to make artwork thanks to the technology without having to kind of manipulate a pen or a brush with your hand, which I always struggled with. But then I, th I think the artistic vision, I possibly have got some of that. And it's something I've worked on as well to, <laughs> to get to this point. But yeah, it was just... The, the Yosemite is incredible and I mean I really up to now have only brushed the surface of it so I'm desperate to get back and sort of dig in but um, yeah you're kind of under the sh you're always in the shadow of Ansel Adams aren't you if you go to if you go to Yosemite a little bit a little bit and I, I've talked with photographers who shoot out west I shoot out east in the states which is a completely different landscape yeah. and i can only imagine for you coming from your landscape where you view up grew up over to death valley i mean that's an insane difference yeah yeah i mean death valley was i've got to say i think death valley was probably my favorite part of that holiday um because i'd never really experienced heat like that before i think it was mm. mid-40s or something when we were there and we stopped the car at one point and it was completely still and completely silent because no wind huh. and it but it was also i've never heard silence quite like that that i did there because i guess there was i'm guessing there wasn't there's not that many birds around or any particularly at that time of day like the wildlife is hiding isn't it so it, it was the silence that struck me that it's just this kind of inhospitable landscape which is very very impressive hey guys just want to pause real quick and remind you of that free streaming course that's available for you right now guaranteed to make you a better photographer through composition sharing the three composition hacks to improve your photography if you go to landscapephotographyuniversity.com stream you can sign up and start watching that course immediately to start improving your photos. Again, that's landscapephotographyuniversity.com slash stream and start watching that free streaming course right now. But let's get back to my talk with Adam Carnatch. Uh, yeah, there's stories in Death Valley of birds flying and just falling out of the sky because they get just overheated. And I, I remember going there. I was there in January. I remember being there and just hanging out and I was just sitting out, um, on the salt flats by myself and just thinking like, it is so quiet that it is hurting my ears. 
It's mm-hmm. almost like a ringing in your ears. It's so quiet. And it's unlike anything else that I've ever experienced uh, in my life, shooting other places and going somewhere that's crowded. And, and then you're just all alone out there. Yeah, I think that's the kind of that it's one one thing I've been talking about a lot more recently in the direction, I suppose, that I've taken my videos in and the, the things I'm talking about generally is kind of away from the technical tutorials where we're talking about f-stops and shutter speeds and things more towards I, d- I don't know I guess this kind of more artistic way of thinking about it because I've been talking about photography for I don't know six or seven years now in public and when it, if you talk if you t- only talking about the technical things you run out of stuff to talk about because it's not that interesting after a while and i think that the technical aspects of photography like how to work your camera and things like that just needs to be learned it's just there, there is no shortcut it's just hard work and practice and stuff to get used to your camera and get that workflow if you're doing landscape photography with a tripod about where you put your bag down where you place your tripod and, and in what order works for you and then putting your camera on and adjusting your composition it's all that kind of stuff that just needs to be repeated over and over again and there's no secret to it really it's just practice but i'm now more focusing on kind of the the human experience and like like you just said that experience of being in a landscape and how it makes you feel and your relationship to it and your interpretation of that landscape and things because i think that's endless like you could talk about that forever because it's we're so connected to the landscape in ways that we just don't understand or we've forgotten even because modern life has taken us indoors most of the time and life is easy we can just go to a shop and buy food in a cellophane wrap do you know what i mean and we've kind of become disconnected to the landscape i think in a, in a certain way and i think that's what a lot of landscape photographers particularly when they get back into doing photography or they they pick it up for the first time they kind of rather most people have been for a walk in the countryside or the landscape but it's not until you're being patient with that camera and you stood still in front of a composition waiting for the light for an hour or two that you really start to appreciate it as you sort of stood still just paying attention to the animals and the birds and the, the, the changing light and the smells and it sort of fills your senses, which is not something you get if you're just sort of hiking through all the time. And they're, they're very special moments and I think they kind of, well, certainly for me, particularly as the sun is setting, you kind of, it changes your mindset to think more meaningfully, I think, about what actually matters what's the what matters to you and what matters to how you're capturing that scene because you've kind of got into the flow of the environment around you and it's that it's those moments when i think certainly for me i create my best images when i'm away particularly when i'm away from the car as well uh, and sort of in, and i'm not bothered by modern life <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
two thoughts and two questions that come up for me when I hear you describing that is number one, we'll get to the second one in just a second. Number one is that, and this relates back to what you were talking about just a second ago, seeing those photos and be just having that vision in your car, maybe not with a, with a brush or a pencil in your hand, but seeing those and instinctively knowing that this could be a good photo is that progression from settings, uh, technical skills, is that just a natural progression to the more artistic side as photographers no, go? I, I, no, I think it's the other way around. Huh. I think it's actually, so when, when I was 16, I think this is what, what a lot of people do when they first get into landscape photography or photography in, anyway, they start off thinking about the art and thinking about what, what they want to create in that frame. And that's what I did with that, with that disposable panoramic camera. I didn't have any, any technical knowledge whatsoever. I was just kind of pointing and shooting at the thing that I thought was going to make the best frame. And I think that's what a lot of people do when they first pick up their kind of phone camera or they first buy, they, they buy their first DSLR or mirrorless camera. They're just sort of instinctively taking shots. And then we get, I think we get distracted somewhat by learning about the technical aspects, which I think is important, but it, one of my complaints with photography education generally is that it's solely focused on that technical stuff. So I think most people go through this sort of curve of forgetting when they think, when they're writing the technical aspects of photography, they forget about what attracted them to photography in the first place and why they wanted to make those pictures. And a lot of people, unfortunately, seem to drop out of photography at that point or they lose interest because it's difficult or they're getting frustrated and they, they don't really know why they keep doing it. But once you get over that hump and you've kind of, I don't know, for, for want of a better phrase, your camera becomes an extension of you, I think you go back down the other side, back to that artistic way of thinking where yeah and i think that's just i think that's a journey that a lot of people go through not everybody i think some people are just very naturally artistically gifted that they'll just do whatever and it'll look good but that's certainly not how i am it's been a it's been a journey to get it right um, it def it, it leads to the second part of the question which is when you do go from how do I, how do I get this shot? And then you go to the technical side and then you go back to the meaningful side, the connection yeah. side that you have to the landscape. How do you put that then into a photo? So I can, I can give you an example. I think those pictures that I took in Yosemite and Death Valley, I look at them now and I still really like them. And as I went into this, I just talked about it on the, on my last video, actually, as I went into this point of being super technical, I kind of thought for a little while that my style, which is what I was talking about in the video, my style was that of long exposure. Hmm. And a technique doesn't make a style, but that was the mistake I made. So for a while, I just went around shooting everything in long exposure because I liked the technical side of it and I liked the look of the long exposure. But then in hindsight now, looking back at some of those images, they're just... I mean, there wasn't that many, but they're just utterly meaningless to me because it was just me pointing a camera at a scene with no thought really 
other than doing a long exposure. And they're, they're images that I don't like at all now. Whereas, come back down the other side, all that technical knowledge is still there, but it's about drawing on the experience, I suppose, of the particular landscape that I'm in and picking the right technique. I still use long exposure sometimes, but it's about using it at the right time or being in a landscape where the view is very nice to your own eyes, but that doesn't necessarily make a shot. So putting that, knowing when to put the longer lens on to pull some detail out of that wider landscape and compose an image with some kind of meaning in that way. And I think that's why sometimes, particularly if you're in the mountains or something, spending time there and looking kind of 360 degrees all around you and putting that long lens on, you can pick three or four great images out from one spot that end up, because you put the long lens on as well, end up being quite unique in what is otherwise a very popular location for the big wide angle shot. And I think that's, but I, I don't know if that answers your question, really. But I think it does. I mean, we all have our own approach, don't we? Yeah, and I think it's different for everybody. And that it doesn't. I mean, not every, I'm not setting out necessarily to make a meaningful image. It should, and a lot of a lot of it will come in post processing as well. So when I'm there, there's a particular feeling I'm having because it's been. A good bit of exercise uh i'm feeling good because i'm at the top of a hill i'm feeling good because the light's just right it's awe inspiring it's making me think about what's meaningful in my life beyond just the photography alone i then make the image come back to then process that and all those thoughts i've had at the time will go into the post-processing as well uh that, so that it's not until I've printed the final thing that the full extent of what I've created kind of comes to be a whole. So it's not all at the shooting phase. It's just about trying to enjoy those moments as best you possibly can, I think. Which is not always yeah. easy when you get frustrated, is it? It's not like <laughs> No, not quite. I, I think it's interesting, though, like the way you do enjoy those moments is not overcomplicating the process and that's where the technical side does kind of overwhelm people right and and you get to a location and people start to think and this comes after years of experience teaching people in the field of is my composition right should i include this should i not include this what are my settings am i am i exposing it correctly and if you just sit for a moment and take a deep breath and really look around at what's around you you'll start to notice specific things of what draws you to a location, to a specific photograph. And if you start working with that in your composition, rather than the rule of thirds, the golden mean, you know, here's a leading line. If you start working with that, then you can start incorporating all those things that make a composition a little bit better, level it up a little bit 1% each time. And, and when people train their eye to notice those things i think it's when the light bulb goes off and they start to kind of hack their creativity in a sense yeah absolutely i think one of the things that i find with some clients is that 
they will only do landscape photography and oh, because that's what they, they've watched people like me on youtube and others doing landscape photography and uh sometimes like you say it kind of looks relaxed i've been struggling recently over the over this summer particularly although in hindsight i've ended up making some images that i'm really happy with but it felt stressful at, mm. at times and there was one shoot i did which did end up on a video where i was totally lacking in confidence about what i was doing but i kind of ended up doing what you said just kind of standing there relaxing and letting the photography happen but i could only do that because of my years of hard work and experience before that getting used to controlling the camera and the tripod and those technical things because i think what you you can't you can't really do you can't really be calm and serene in an environment when the light's changing quickly if you don't know exactly what you're doing with the camera i think what some people get stuck with is that they haven't practiced enough and the problem with landscape photography is that even if you shoot if you, even if you're the sort of photographer that does takes a lot of photos in a day it's still going to be only like 10 to 20 do you know what i mean like it's whereas a street photographer might take 200 in a day or when you, if you do wedding photography you're taking 500 odd images and delivering 200 so one of the things i i often will say to landscape photographers that only do landscape photography it shoot something else just get your shutter count up to get that experience of being a photographer because i think if a, a good photographer can turn their hand to a variety of genres and be not be the best at it but be competent because the knowledge of how to use the camera and the sort of artistic elements that we use to make composition are the same so i think for, for landscape photographers that do struggle and, in, and they do i've seen people struggling with the tripod and the workflow and missing amazing moments with the light because they're faffing with their camera and you, i mean you can just do it you can do it at home like you stick a sort of standard lens on or a, a macro lens and just start photographing things at home but do it in manual and practice adjusting your aperture and your shutter speed and your iso and see what works and just i mean that should be fun shouldn't it i <laughs> that was I, I loved doing that when i first started like just kind of walking into a room and guessing what the setting should be and it and after after a while of doing that you get it right or at least within a stop either side you're going to get it right just because there's only so many lighting conditions isn't there particularly indoors and you start to get a feel for what what settings you need and as you do this, you just—it's just mastery of your, of your tool, isn't it? That's 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 really all it is. And once, you, once, like you say, once you do that, you can kind of extend that to, or just forget. It. It's like driving. I always say it's like driving a car. You get, you, you once you're an experienced driver, you take some journeys, and you haven't thought about controlling the car at all. You've just been thinking about something else as you've been driving safely along. 
Hey, I really hoped you enjoyed this conversation with Adam. Uh, I know I did. It's, it's one thing to know how to use your camera, know how to make a photo better, but it's that next step of enjoying the photos uh, that takes your photography to the next level. And this is part one of that discussion with Adam next week in the next episode, episode 146, we're going to dive even deeper with Adam and continue our talk on the artistic side and the thoughtful side of his photography and his journey. And those things are also going to help you as well. If you want to follow Adam, you can look him up online at Adam Carnatch, or you can look up his stage name, I guess I'll say, and his YouTube channel, First Man Photography, and his name will come up as well. I'll see you guys in the next episode.